I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello there, my friends. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate all of the love and support. I received so many motivational messages from so many of you, and it really inspires me to keep going and to create content. If you haven't yet, please open up your podcast app and press the subscribe button. It helps the show grow and it will ensure that you won't ever miss an episode. Leaving a rating and review and sharing the podcast with your people is so valuable. And it also helps other people to decide if they want to click on my show. So if you have a moment today, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. I would also like to invite you to like my Facebook group called Built Ford Tough. I share videos of how he's progressing throughout the week, and I would really love if you join the conversation. Today, I'm interviewing one badass mama bear. What I love so much about my guest today is how honest she is, and I think you'll know what I mean as soon as you listen to her. She begins telling me her story about her childhood in the Philippines and how some of her experience in that small village prepared her for quarantine in a way. She's been taking on so much responsibility since she was a very young girl. She knew so much about life already by the time she gave birth to her beautiful daughter, Jayella, who was born with Hurler's syndrome, which is a severe form of MPS. She received a bone marrow transplant when she was very young, and she does ongoing enzyme replacement therapy infusions. She's a little warrior, and she's doing great. The day after this episode airs is MPS Awareness Day, so... That's pretty special, and I'm so honored to share her family's story with you. Please enjoy my episode with Angela Yumel. Hi, Angela. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. So thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me today. I'm really excited. I follow a lot of different hashtags on Instagram because it's what someone told me to do when I first signed up and I was learning what to do. So I follow a bunch of different things like disability, kids with disabilities and things like that, which is where I found you and your blog. That's awesome. I'm so great that all the all the hashtags, I didn't even intend to have someone to follow me, but hashtags are powerful because that's something that I guess I'm used to, especially having, you know, this rare, you know, genetic disorder children, you know, you want people to be aware of what these children have. So um, thank you. I'm so grateful that you found me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my whole feed. You know, when I'm scrolling through Instagram, it's not necessarily like restaurants or whatever. It's all just hashtags that parents like you use. So that's like the stuff that scrolls. So I don't even necessarily have to be friends with people. I just see key hashtags, you know, of things that I yeah, want to look at. So awesome. it's really cool. Angela, why don't you just give us a little bit about yourself and your daughter? Yeah, sure. Let's start with me. I actually was born in the Philippines and I came here when I was about eight years old. But before then, I 
this whole virus thing is happening. We are quarantined now. I just remember when I was five years old in the Philippines, we actually had a volcanic eruption. And so it's it's not the same exact thing, but it almost kind of reminded me that we had to evacuate the village and then we had to stay and be quarantined for months at this barn because, you know, we couldn't be at our place in my home in the Philippines. And going through that and uh, coming back, not having my home because it was all buried with ashes. So we became, you know, we basically was homeless for a little bit, you know, until all the ashes came down. But I learned so much about myself being, you know, so young. And finally, when we got back on our feet, you know, that's usually what the world does is when you, when something bad happens, always good things happen to you right after. So a couple of years later, we, my father was actually working back in and out of the United States to the Philippines to get us our visa. And we finally got our visa and um, we came to America for a land of opportunity. And to me, that was a big deal. So being nine years old, I had to grow up so fast because I also had two brothers and a younger sister and we were all young. So we're all two years apart. So my younger sister was only four and my younger brother was six. And it was me, which was nine years old. And then my brother, who was 12 years old. Basically, I was the mom of that family. So for a whole year, because my mom did not come with us from the Philippines. So for the whole year, when we came to America, I had to take care. I had to take the responsibility of, you know, brushing my sister's teeth and my younger brother. So I almost kind of grew up so fast. Yeah, that's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> that's kind of like my background. So then I was almost like I wanted something more because it gave me that responsibility because I did not see my dad. All he did was work three jobs. You know, he was working day in and day out. Um, and then when finally my mother came, we were so happy, right? I finally had this motherly, <laughs> oh my God, like, thank you. I can be a kid again. <laughs> you cooked dinner. <laughs> so, you know, just kind of learned so much about life already. I was, I already had a different perspective coming here already from coming from the Philippines to America and then taking care of, you know, my younger siblings while my dad goes to work. And then when I finished high school, you know, I always had a dream of wanting to do more for my life. I just, you know, I actually wanted to become like a dancer, a backup dancer for JLo, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> like a hip hop dancer. But, you know, my dad's like, you got to go to school and, you know, you got to take nursing. <laughs> so I uh, took nursing. Um, you know, I became, I've been a nurse for 12 years. Luckily at the time, finished school because I wanted to respect my, my parents' wishes. But after I took nursing school, I was 22 years old. You know, I took a break and I partied a lot because <laughs> it was my turn. And then I ended up being, you know, getting pregnant with my first child being 22 years old in a Catholic family and then being pregnant, not getting, being married was a big, huge deal for my family side. Sure. And I ended up keeping my daughter because I think at the time we weren't ready and there was like a lot of talks about not having to keep her, you know, getting abortion and things like that. And I was like, no, 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 I don't care. I'm going to take care of my baby. <laughs> I mean, who's better equipped than someone who had had a past like that? Oh my gosh, exactly. So you're catapulted into adulthood once again. 
at a young age. <laughs> Catapulted, yep. At least I was done with school. Yeah. <laughs> so I was working as a nurse. At least I had a pretty good, decent job, you know, being 22 years old. I worked at Kaiser for 12 years then. Uh, before that, I worked at Torrance Memorial around, you know, this area. When my daughter, it was just me and her now taking care of her. And me being a single mom, first time mom, right? And then luckily I, I had some nursing skills, you'd say, right? But it's not really nursing skills because I had just graduated. When my daughter was about two months old, she started to have some symptoms. It was just like flu symptoms, like, you know, it's not an actual flu, but it's flu-like symptoms where she would have congestion and coughing and high fever, right? So all those type of viral symptoms that we're all kind of scared about. I was a little bit worried. So I took her to the doctors because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just like two days, three days. It was like a month, right? It was like a whole month of not, you know, coming, getting away. So we saw the doctor and she said there's, she's, she'll be fine. You know, she's still too young to have these things, but maybe it's just, you know, let's check for her, you know, let's check for her food, maybe it's allergies. So we did the allergy testing for her and then everything was came back normal. And when daughter was about four months old, I was giving her a bath at the time. I noticed like a lump on her back, on her lower back. And so I was like, okay, what is this lump? So then I took her to the ER again or, you know, to the doctors and we scheduled an appointment and they said, well, we would have to do an MRI in order for her, for us to see what this is. but you know, being a four month old baby, you know, going to an MRI is not the best thing. You yeah, know, you want to minimize that anesthesia. Exactly. And also the radiology and also plus two, the nurse would have to walk the baby, you know, my baby to be there for, for an hour just to not move. But they said it was it would cause a lot of complications, especially for a four month baby. So she said, well, let's just wait until she's a little older. So we didn't do the MRI. I was just like, you know, now for not doing an MRI, why would she have this lump? You know, we did some x-rays, nothing. Of course, you can't find anything in the x-rays. And then we saw the ENT specialist. So then because of her, you know, heavy breathing and why she's so congested, why she's still having this type of symptoms, and she had large adenoids. And, you know, at the time, the ENT specialist said, you know, she's still young. Maybe, you know, usually with the babies, they would grow out as she grow older. Again, we have to wait. <laughs> and so I was like, why is my daughter having these type of symptoms? Why is she still having congestion? So every single night, I would be so like, my anxiety level would be so high because she would breathe like a, you know, like, like, yeah. like she couldn't like a, like a fat. You know, it was like, like shallow like smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Like, you know, and I was just very worried, you know, during this time, I wanted to take her to a children's hospital. Maybe I was just so desperate. You know, I was reaching out to so many people like Kaiser and thank God, luckily I worked at Kaiser. I was like talking to the nurses there and I'm just kind of, I'm just getting a lot of referrals and some insights from them, but nobody knows, you know, cystic fibrosis or other things. And then finally, when my daughter was about six months or seven months old, I believe, one day I was putting her to bed and her fever was so high. She would be so fussy. And this is me only having two to three hours of sleep because every night she would be so fussy as if she was in pain or something. And I just thought 
this is like a normal, regular baby being a very, you know, first time mom. I'm thinking this is normal. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us got stuck in that mindset, especially when doctors were like, it's fine. They'll grow out of it. Nothing's wrong. Right. And that's exactly what they had told me. She's, you know, she's going to grow out of it. But I'm like, this is not normal. (laughs) So I'm like seeing therapists and everything too. Yeah. So one day I was putting her to bed. I just remember we had to give her a suppository Tylenol because her fever was so high. It was like 103. And I was about to take her to the doctor's. It was really, it was like 10 p.m. You know, obviously doctor's offices are closed. The only way that I can take her is go to the ER, but it takes longer to do that. So I said, okay, we'll schedule appointment the next day. Why she would have a fever. Let me give her the Tylenol. I was putting her bed. She started to have a seizure, a febrile seizure right in front of me, you know, on her crib. And I was just like, I literally froze. I didn't have any word to say. Thank God at the time, my ex, you know, we were still together. We, you know, we were kind of taking care of her. We both kind of just cared her and took her to the ER right away. And, you know, they were able to get her in. And so when they took her O2 stat, it was like 60%. Oh my gosh. Which is very, very low. So her mouth was turning blue. I'm just like, okay, what is going on? They did a three-day evaluation for her. She was admitted to the hospital. They did all the testing. And guess what? Nothing. Of course. (laughs) So I come home with no answers. And after all of that, and I'm just like, why? You know, follow up. We saw the neurologist. They did the brain, you know, they did the whole EKG and neurologic testing and all that stuff. Everything they said was normal. Thank God it was normal. But why is she having these type of symptoms? I had a conversation with one of my old coworkers and she said, why don't you switch a doctor, the doctor that my kids are seeing, she's really good, she's new, she's so persistent with everything. And so I was like, okay, you know what, let me just try. Because she's a new doctor, of course, in our head, we're like, I don't want a new doctor, I want someone who's experienced. But the person, the doctor that I had previously, she was the head chief of Kaiser at the time, but she was so busy. So the fact that she is so busy with the administration stuff, of course, it's kind of harder for her to look at other things sure. further. So then I gave a chance. I gave this other doctor a chance, uh, Dr. Diop. She's so awesome. I wrote her an email right before I saw her because you can't just switch doctors, right? You have to like <laughs> figure out why. So I wrote her a long email and she said, okay, um, let me go see her and she referred me to all the specialties before we took her to children's she wanted to refer me to all the specialties cardiology and all that stuff so she listened to you she listened to me (laughs) i'm like thank you lord for at least having one person listen to me because i was taking her to urgent cares once a week and they would just kind of just give her like Tylenol or stuff or she's fine or you know i would go home with really no answer just some type of remedy But with her, I was so comfortable and she did whatever it took for us to find out what's going on with her. And a month later, so now this is my daughter, she's eight months old now. She was, I I guess she told me that she was really studying and she was really looking at her stuff, you know, her body and things like that. And she was reading, she was doing research and she noticed that she had a lot of hair in her back and 
you know, for me, I thought, okay, well, for, you know, I was born with a lot of hair, but she thought because it was so much, usually with babies, when they're born, there's a lot of hair, but they usually fall off to like a normal, you know, but for her, it looks like, like it was like a chimpanzee hair. It was a lot of hair, which I never really noticed that. So then she said, I'm not sure what it is, but can I refer her to a geneticist? Because uh, yes, you can. Kind of... <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, please. So, oh my God. After all that, this is nine, eight months, right? Eight months of this. We referred her to geneticist. As soon as we walked into a, the geneticist, she's the only genetic doctor in the South Bay area here in Southern California. She was so awesome. She looked at her eyes. She measured her, her hips and everything else. And she said, your daughter has lysosomal disorder. And I'm like, what? Just by looking at her? Just by just by giving her a physical exam? Just by looking at her. And she said, I don't know what it is. There's many, many different kinds of disosomal disorders. So she sends the blood tests all the way from Philadelphia. A month and a half later, I get a phone call. And we go in for the results. And she said, we have good news and bad news. And when I walked in there, it wasn't just me and the genetic doctor. We It was the whole interdisciplinary team. So they took me on the top of the, 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 uh, the actual business office with two um, nurses there. There was a surgeon. There was the head chief pediatric doctor. There was her uh, other, our previous doctor was there. There was the head chief pediatric, pediatric doctor of children's hospital was there. There was a priest there. Oh. There was a cop there. And I was just like, <laughs> that's a little intimidating. Why? Why were they all there? It is so intimidating. Me walk in as a 22 year old, you know, almost 23, right? I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> uh, this is like 12 years ago. <laughs> you know, she gave us the news. And the, the good news is that the team is here. The reason why the team is here is we're going to come support you. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to start a therapy for you. So but she said the bad news is that your daughter has mucopolysaccharidosis, which is MPS. It's called MPS1. It's called Hurler's syndrome. It's a very rare genetic disorder. That means she was born with no enzymes in her body that can lead to enlarged heart, enlarged liver, enlarged brain. And without any type of treatment, it can cause death. And unfortunately, there's no cure for your daughter's disease. That's a hard day. You know, every time I tell my story, <laughs> I I still get emotional. Yeah, me too. Hearing this as a 23-year-old, I would just trade anything else, right? Um, knowing that I thought I, I was dreaming, you know, it's like, what, there's no cure. But she said that we're going to do whatever it takes. You know, that's why we're here. The team's here. We're going to help you. And so we're, we started an enzyme replacement therapy infusion the next day. Thank God I was working as a nurse at Kaiser and I had insurance. And so they were able to actually utilize my insure, my employee insurance and was able to do the ERT and, you know, infusion right away. And then they said that, you know, during along those weeks, we would have to find a match for her, either a bone marrow transplant or a, um, what is that, cord, cord transplant. But she was already, you know, almost, she was already at a nine-month mark that she couldn't have the cord transplant. So the bone marrow transplant would be harder to, you know, find. 
three months later, we found a 10 out of 10 match. And he was a 37 year old white male from Michigan. How did you get how did you get that match? What what was it through? Kaiser through Kaiser here with uh, Kaiser connected Kaiser Haas, uh, Kaiser South Bay was able to connect me connect me with the Children's Hospital in LA. So it was just in like a bone marrow database. Yeah, so Children's Hospital was able to find a match for my daughter, which was a hundred percent match. That's fast. For three months, yeah, three months later, after all this, me like crying and praying and seeing therapists throughout the whole time, and they had told me that it would take a year, it might even take a year or two to find a match for her, which might not, not, not even, you know, it might, it's a lot of complications for that. But, you know, through so much prayers around my neighborhood, my area, everybody in the hospital knew about her. We did like fundraising within all of that stuff already. And three months later, we, we got a call and say we did a match. And then we did a bone marrow transplant at Children's Hospital in LA for another three months. And we were there, you know, in and out. And um, after three months, she was 100% in grafting. So my daughter was discharged after then and continued the enzyme replacement therapy infusion after that. And till today, she receives her enzyme replacement therapy infusion once a week. And she's now 11 years old. <laughs> wow. Was there any type of isolation that you had to do before, during, or after the bone marrow transplant? Absolutely. So that was another. Actually, you're right. There was another isolation that we had to do. It was actually another couple months before because we were already isolating her while we were waiting for the match. So when we found out she was eight months, so she was about 13 months when um, she got out of the hospital. So from eight months old or nine months. Yeah, it was eight months. I'm sorry. She was eight months. So we isolated her already. So me and her dad you know, had to stay at a trail home, with, with his, which is his uh, great-grandparents' home that, you know, we, we snuck in. <laughs> it was Nobody was living there. So we basically just said that we were, like, going, you know, we came out of uh, a different area and we we're just staying here for temporary, and they let us. So we isolated her from kids for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So for four months, we isolated her. So... Same thing like this, like being quarantined in the house. Yeah, for a lot of parents are pretty used to it already and families. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did that. And then after she got out of the hospital, we also isolated her for another four months before she was even able to come out. You know, if, if we would have to have a doctor's uh, appointment, we she would have to wear a mask and things like that. And, you know, because because of the chemo also she lost you know her hair so it was kind of good thing for us to kind of just isolate her and not seeing but it's harder for us because we would have to be there every single day you know as a parent and you know being a nurse and I would have to look for other streams of income and things like that so just not even just be dealing with a daughter with Hurler syndrome but you also have to you know meet your potential as a person. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, everyone's involved. So what do the infusions entail exactly? And she's going to have to get them every week for the rest of her life. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, so the enzyme replacement therapy infusion, she had that when she was 
you know, when she was at the hospital at nine months, after she was 100% engrafted, that, in, that infusion was to not stop her progression, but it slows down her progression of her okay. disease. So basically, if she doesn't receive that, you know, we don't know if she can, you know, because right now uh, the progression still goes. Obviously, you know, there's no cure for Hurler syndrome. So what the enzyme replacement therapy infusion does is it slows down the progression of the disease. Okay. We don't know because there's studies that there's no cure yet. You know, when we went to MPS symposium, you know, we we'll, we'll, we meet once a year, we'll meet with other Hurler syndrome children or MPS because there's seven MPS. There's MPS one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The progression that is just different. So MPS one has their progression is more in their bones, um, you know, in their heart, and then MPS two is like their brains. So there's different kinds. But so with my daughter, with the bone marrow transplant, that prevented her from having anything that can affect the brain and heart. Wow. And then. And after, uh, she just actually just started another, the other enzyme replacement therapy infusion just last week or two months, I'm sorry, last month. So after nine years, again, uh, they had mentioned that she would have to start again to be able to prevent or slow down the progression for the parts of her bones and her heart and the, you know, the, the liver and everything else. So what has this meant for her developmentally for her development she's actually you know she's she's a normal kid you know she still goes to a normal school but yes it can slow down a lot of you know with some now that she's you know she's 11 she's going to be 12 in July now that she goes to middle school her friends are not you know she's short she doesn't grow up to, you know, they said they don't grow up to four, their four feet is probably going to be their tallest uh, for her to be. And all her friends are like five and a half feet. And for her mentally, it kind of gives her a lot of anxiety too. So we try to do see the behavioral specialist to kind of see like, what would we be prepared for her and just kind of work with her and in a positive way. But developmentally, she's fine. She does see IEP. She's not as fast learner. She does have trouble learning. And, and her attention span is very short as well. Yeah. So do you think that she's going to have to have another bone marrow transplant in the future? Or should the one that she had at eight months old kind of like carry her through in a way? My, the doctor was telling us that because it was a 100% match, it was most likely that she would not need to have another bone marrow transplant her entire, yeah. So I was just like, thank God. Were you ever able to connect with the with the man that with the donor, was the no. donor? I, I'd love to meet him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but at the time, I think it was just, they said it was a random donor. Wow. Um, you know, it was just, yeah, so I'm I'm just very thankful, and that's the reason why I want to give back more, you know. I, I, I recently, I quit my job as a nurse five years ago, and I started my financial business because I want to give back to all these kids, too, as well, because of, because of this donor inspired me to say, hey, you don't 
have to be anyone or someone that you know that like that's famous or popular to be able to give back you could you could do it yourself like as like a regular person <laughs> yeah so what do you mean by that like what did changing your career into your finance business that you started because as a nurse i love nursing i love making an impact i love helping people because of the things that happened to me back when i was young that's why i talked about that because you know, when I saw these people were getting sick, there was not enough nurses. I took nursing for that, but I felt like there was a reason for me to be a nurse at the time because I was relentless to talk, you know, to know about my daughter. Because if I wasn't in the nursing field, I wouldn't know Who about knows her. how long it would have taken. Yeah, exactly. It would take longer. And when my daughter got out of the hospital, you know, I was able to connect with some of my friends and family. And my older brother, he's very entrepreneurial minded. He's always good you know, good with his finances. And so I kind of asked him like what I should do with mine, because, you know, I don't have a lot, you know, at the time. And so he connected me with one of the top CEOs here, uh, who was a financial advisor for Nationwide and Transamerica. And he, I was able to sit down with him and he actually mentored me and he saw the potential in me being able to connect with these people, right? When, when you're in business, uh, my story also, you know, it's it's your story that sells, right? Facts tell, story tells. So a story sells. And people was were able to relate with my situation. And I wanted to protect my daughter with whatever she had, with long-term care, yes. with anything, insurance. So anything ever happens to my daughter financially or for me, she's going to be fine for the next, you know, five to 10 years if something happens to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a hard one to get to as parents. We know we all need to take care of it. But yes. yeah, I love how you just hit the ground running with that and took control of that situation. Because you were getting to. kind of like blow after blow there. So it's I very know. cool. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I mean, that's I was able to, I just love helping families, especially now that um, all of this coronavirus is happening. We're more busy now because I can actually work from home. And we're doing these, you know, webinars, appointments and not have to go anywhere to be able to, it's not like back in the days in the old industry, you have to walk into a Charles Schwab where you have to have extra money to save. Now, more than ever, people are wanting to get protected with their, you know, with their retirement, with, with life insurance, with long-term care. So just financial planner and proceeds of the commissions that I make actually goes towards the funding for research for cure for MPS for JALA, for JALA Foundation. That's amazing. So what would you say to the parents who have like so much going on, like we all do, but parents of these medically complex kids who like cannot even create the bandwidth to think about that part of the future and caring for our kids as adults? And if we're gone, what would you say to them to kind of help nudge them into kind of thinking about this aspect of their child's care? I'm all about self-care. It's all about self-care and personal development. And so throughout those times when my daughter was going through all of this, I actually have a journal that I write, you know, you can log on to it's caringbridge.org. And it helped me really put my thoughts and feelings together because you know we're not alone like you're not alone nobody is alone in this and i found out as a young you know single mother at the time i thought i was alone you know because you're going to get in this depressive state and anxiety 
but when you care about when you take care of yourself that means you take care of your kids so amen at the first part i would always always just look i need to take care of my kid i need to take care of my daughter it's like the same thing when you go in the hop in a plane the first thing they ask you is you have to put the mask on when the plane's going down right before you put the before you put the mask on your kids so it's the same concept i figured out that i was you know able to self care just by writing my journal positive affirmations every single day writing my um what i'm grateful for you know just even with jayla the least that we could do is just being grateful that we have a child who's putting a story out there and making an impact for other families and because she's so courageous and i see her that she just you know she lives and these children they live and fight for their lives every single day and you know for them it's like you know we need to be their heroes to be able to show them that hey your our parents were strong too we're strong together and so that we're able to go out there and still take care of other people and you could do it all i feel like you can have it all cuz i'm a i'm a mother i'm a i'm a wife i'm a friend i'm a, i'm a leader i'm a financial advisor i'm you know i'm a fun person i can go out and have fun and i can dance and you know just do all the things and i'm also you know i'm also connected with my inner self so and i'm grounded and i'm connected i'm connected to you know to god and to universe and and i'm all about self care and so i meditate every single day i teach my kids how to meditate and i think that really help us waking up in the morning being more grateful rather than being stressed out because i i went through that route and i didn't like it like nobody likes that route. <laughs> no, it doesn't feel good and you can get stuck in it. You can get oh, stuck in sure. it. Oh, for sure. Once you're stuck in it, it, it it's hard to get back out. So, you know, you're fighting these battles every single day. You're fighting, you know, this fear. I've been reading a lot of books and listening to, you know, like this, like a podcast, a personal development podcast and other people's stories that man, like I hear other people have way worse than I do. But what am I doing complaining about this or having more fear when I should be the one, you know, I could be stronger and I could do more and I can give more because the more you give, the more you get. <laughs> yes, I love that you said all of that. That was <laughs> really beautiful. And I really think it's so cool that you connected your story from your childhood and having you know, a natural disaster, like obliterate what you knew your life to be to moving here without a mom, to being a mom, to being a single mom, and then having a medically complex kid and starting your own business. I mean, it's amazing. And I'm so proud of you. And you. I think that yes, while these kids are so awesome, they also create such amazing resilience in us as parents that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have ever found. Exactly. You know, I always think my daughter, she is my inspiration every single day. Whenever I see her, you know, do her homework and she gets frustrated and she just does it again anyways, or when we go out for a walk or, you know, just for PE because she's limited to her, you know, her physical activity as well. And I see her and run and she, she still tries and she's in cheer and I still see her that she tries and she doesn't, she doesn't give up. That makes me want to become even more stronger, and I think that teaches us lesson as parents that we could do it all. And it just how is your perspective in life? You know, it's it's abundance versus scarcity, and that's what I see from her. 
I love that. <laughs> I love that. And I'm going to close on that. That was a really beautiful explanation. Thank um, you. Thank you so much, Angela. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience before we go? Um, you know, just the one thing that I can tell you guys is be positive and not just being positive. It's just more go out there and do the things that you can do because you can do it all. You know, you don't have to feel sorry about yourself. You don't have to feel sorry that, you know, you, you have this child. You have to look at your children or whoever that's around you who has these type of, you know, genetic disorder. They're meant for something. And, you know, everybody's born to be great. And I think this is the reason why we're doing this is, you know, you're born with something greatness to yourself. Thank you, Angela. I had so much fun talking to you. I really appreciate you joining me today. I appreciate it. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.